Hello. Hi. I'm Lindsay. I'm Brianna. And I'm Ed. And this is Gone with the Windies. All right. So today's episode is a special one. It's the first one we're ever posting and uploading that we have a special guest. We've only ever posted so far with me and Brianna in our episodes. So you'll be the first ever addition to our podcast. How do you feel about that? Whoa. Isn't that so exciting? That's pretty exciting. So this is, I'll give a short introduction. This is our dad, um, Papa.Windy. <laughs> On, on Instagram. Instagram. Oh, yeah, that's right. So he's the, the father of the Gone with the Windies crew, which is me and Brianna. So, yeah, that's super exciting. Welcome to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me, ladies. Oh, anytime. You know, you've been our most dedicated listener from the very beginning. We oh. just felt it was only fitting that you'd be our first guest. Oh, well, thank you for that. Posted. I am honored yeah. and privileged to be here. Thank Aww. you. So exciting. I'm so excited to record this and post it. Um... Yeah, how did you have a good week? I had an interesting week. Yeah, yeah. I'm, a, I'm a preschool teacher and I teach preschool special ed in Fairfax County in the public school system. And we were kind of told that we were supposed to just do virtual this week after break and then going back face to face. And then school board met and decided that that was not going to happen. So we are currently in a holding pattern and conducting all of our classes virtually, which is kind of a challenge with preschoolers, especially in uh, my little enclave of students so we'll see it'll be fine but it's been an emotional week i guess mm. yeah for a lot of other reasons that i'm not even going to go into now <laughs> understandable um well that's exciting also i didn't say this already but we are recording outside so if there's like wind or sounds of cars or anything that's just that's just how it is so just be prepared for that and if it happens i it happens and that's just how it is just immerse yourself yeah it's life in nature it's like yeah. you're really here with us right now exactly in Which my is backyard. what you want right yeah. so it's perfect deal with it i'm glad to be here me too me too yeah the sun is shining the birds are singing ah it's warm crisp actually it's a little bit crisp <laughs> it's a little it's a little crispy outside i, I had to put on my beret for this ah uh, yes right it's keeping your little head so warm right oh yeah yeah looks yeah. very warm yeah <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I don't know. I don't really have much to say. At this, by the time this goes up, I'll actually be back in Blacksburg, so we'll Ooh. have to virtual record after that. But we will. We're planning yeah. a marathon podcast recording night this evening, so Lindsay and I are gonna have a bunch like banked up in the little podcast bank. Yeah. Um, Fun fact: when we had our little podcast meeting, Brianna said that we should bank ten episodes, and this was like a month ago. And I was like, that's a little bit bold, maybe five, based on how often she actually wants to record. And she was like, we'll compromise, we'll go seven. And so far we have, like, none. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> that's exciting. Um, it's really well, good. we actually do have a couple. We do, we yeah. We have, like, maybe three. We have three. Yeah. Okay. Anywho. So. Come on. No. <laughs> <laughs> Essentially, we have to record some tonight because Brianna got us on this path to recording seven podcasts before I go back to school in three days. But, yeah, so that's where we're at. Anyway, it's a lovely Saturday afternoon. The ambiance, ambiance, the environment was already described with such mm-hmm. descriptive adjectives by our first guest. <laughs> so, yeah, I think we should just, what do you want to so, say? Just a quick aside. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as, as a fan of the show, I, I, I constantly am like, 
wondering what you guys are doing when you're recording. And I get to sit here across from you, <laughs> socially distanced, of course, but in, and you're in my backyard and you're this banter is just exactly what I've been missing since March. Oh, I, I truly miss having you guys with me in front of me just being able to watch you do what you do <laughs> with each other, which is incredibly comical to me. Oh. And it just, it just warms my heart to just be here and just have the chance to just see, see the behind the scenes action of Gone with the Windies. And the nonverbals that I see. <laughs> you get to experience all that. Sometimes, if you're a listener of the podcast, you know, sometimes we'll explain what's happening. Brianna will say, like, ah, if you guys missed it, she just flashed a peace sign. But he'll get to really experience those actions that come along with words. Because I feel like there's a lot that goes on in nonverbal communication that you can't understand. And so, yeah, you're finally experiencing that. Yeah. As if you haven't for the past 23 years. But 23. Anyway. Well, um, yeah, so I guess without further ado, let's hop right into it, as we say. Um, <laughs> <laughs> There's lots of hand gestures going on. <laughs> lots of hand gestures. That's how we roll here at, at the Windies. This is our dad. He has lived a life, some may say. <laughs> Certainly. Certainly a life. Certainly a life. But the fact that we are his daughters and we're 23 and 21 would lead you to believe he's had some experiences and he's got some wisdom and some some knowledge under his belt, I guess. And yeah, so we're going to just have a conversation. And I have had a few questions prepared. I've had some questions prepared. You no, have. I, you have. By who? That's Me. true. Literally, I wrote a couple questions down. I, couple. Ah. Okay. How about I take it from here? Um, I'd love to just... Don't grab my knee. I'm sorry. I'd love to jump in and just ask you a quick question. How do I even phrase this? You know... <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> How do I phrase this? I don't know. Tell us a little bit about your background. You know, where you grew up, your family life growing, <laughs> <laughs> okay. growing up. By the way, there are no takes. This is just rolling through. Oh, yeah, I yeah. know. I'm aware. Okay. I'm aware. Carry on. That's how okay. it works, sir. I'm going to start over. I'm going to start over. <laughs> Telling us about our own podcast. So, Father, we would love you to You have just... a tear. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. It happens. Oh, my goodness. For background, she literally read that exactly off the bullet point that I typed <laughs> and then acts like she's taking over as if I didn't write the question. You were having trouble with speaking, so I decided to help. I don't Bold see... statement. All right. Go for it. Okay. Listen. Here's the thing. Tell us about your background. Okay. <laughs> um, where you grew up, your family life growing up, things you would do. Okay. All of that. I'll do it as briefly as possible because yeah. we don't have a lot of time. But um, I was born in 1966. Wow. Child of the 60s. Wow. I don't really remember the hippie phase, but um, that's what I was. <laughs> that's where I was at that time. So we. I, I grew up in a. Actually, my first memories of, of are living on the farm. We lived on a small dairy farm in um, central New York, south of Syracuse, in the hill country. Gorgeous place to be. Uh, we had like 24 cows, and my dad had to milk twice a day, and I remember him getting up very early to go milk the cows and then driving to Syracuse so he could work at his, his job at Carrier Air Conditioners. And then he would come home and immediately go to the barn and milk the cows again. So that went on for several years, and I... I I, don't, I didn't think about it as a kid, but I realized that he was working pretty hard. He had a pretty strong work ethic and was just doing what he had to do to take care of business. Um, but it was a wonderful place to grow up. There was so much to do. We were always busy. We were always doing stuff. Um, 
television and, and technology wasn't a thing. We didn't really do a lot of that, but we were outside. We were just outside playing wherever we were, um, in the barn, out in the fields, in the woods. Um, there was actually a waterfall on our property that we used to go to and visit. Just a wonderful place to be. And then in 1973, um, we moved from the farm to um, Baldwinsville, New York. It's a suburb of Syracuse, and that's where I spent a majority of my growing up life. I was seven when we moved. And uh, just, it was a kind of rural, but it was more, more city than um, where we had come from. Um, so just a lot of different experiences. I have, uh, you know, siblings, two sisters and a brother. And, you know, my dad was working an evening shift, so we didn't see him much. Um, he, you know, we would see him on the weekends, really, because <laughs> he worked a, a 3 to 11 shift. So he was gone when we got home from school, and then he was sleeping when we left for school. So weekends were really our time to spend with dad. Mom would work odd jobs here and there doing different things to, to pick up some extra money. But her most 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 memorable job was um, Sarah Coventry Jewelry. She used to do parties and every now and then we would get a chance to go to a party with her and model some of the jewelry and that was always a, a thrill. You would get to model the jewelry? I modeled some jewelry, yes I did. Like clip-on earrings? Not earrings, Oh, okay. silly. I, <laughs> I, I would model rings oh. or bracelets or uh, <laughs> I remember the Italian horn necklace. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. It was just... I'm just thinking about all these like mid-30s women seeing a young eight-year-old boy modeling a ring and being like oh that looks so good on him like I have to have that <laughs> I know I know it, it didn't happen a lot but I just I have memories of that going to parties with my mom to, oh, to jewelry so parties um so yeah and then you know then it was junior high and high school and you know I played sports I, I was wrestling for several years um our team was number one in New York State for much of the 70s and part of the 80s and it was a lot of pressure I remember not enjoying that part of it but really loving the being on a team and trying to contribute to the team I played lacrosse a little bit I wasn't great uh, but I I enjoyed it I liked being on a team and I liked contributing and just uh, I enjoyed the process of getting fit and learning a skill and, and developing that skill um, but then my senior year I just didn't make the team <laughs> and kind of realized that I wasn't going to be a starter so I just decided to work and so I picked up a job at Burger King and uh, I was a closer and that was a, a fun job but it was pretty difficult challenging a lot lot to do as a, as a 17 year old kid um, or 16 year old kid I started when I was 16 and uh, yes I did that through through high school and then do you want me to keep just talking well our next question actually kind of segues into oh, okay. kind of where you're going but why did you leave New York and why did you choose oh Sorry, just why did you leave New York? So I, I left New York because I was, at that point I had I had left Burger King. I had been working in a, in a little motel in the kitchen, working as a dishwasher and then working salad prep. And then I ended up in a, in a warehouse, an auto parts warehouse, and I would drive forklifts and load trucks and stuff like that. And it was fine. It, it was a job that I did while I was going to school because I started going to community college and uh, I did a year of community college in Syracuse. And I was a fire science major. I had aspirations to be uh, an arson investigator. And I thought that was going to be a really cool job. We were very involved in the volunteer fire department. Um, my dad was the assistant chief. Um, my sister was the first female firefighter in our department, um, Aunt Lori. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I didn't know that. Yeah, Uncle Chuck played, but he, he really was there 
mostly to play softball, I think. <laughs> but he enjoyed it. And, you know, yeah. we all enjoyed, you know, serving. And we were, it was always part of our, our life. You know, we had the monitor at the house, which would always be blaring the calls for the local departments and stuff. So it was kind of in the background all the time. We just always heard what was going on around our area. So I, I suddenly realized at a certain point that I was going to school, but I was there wasn't going to be a lot happening. Um, Syracuse didn't have a lot of opportunities. And uh, my sisters had both moved down to Virginia, um, you know, and they were living together and they invited me and I just kind of said, you know what, let's do it. And so I just picked up um, the week of my 21st birthday. Um, I loaded my, my little motorcycle into the Winnebago <laughs> and mom and dad drove me down to, to Virginia. And then that was where my life started in Virginia. I wasn't, I was going to be here for five years. That was 1987. <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> do the math. Yeah. That did, that five-year plan did not pan out. Other things happened. Yeah. Did you have a place in mind you wanted to head after those five years? Well, originally I thought that I was going to be a an arson investigator, that I was going to be in a fire department. Um, that didn't pan out partly because there, were, there was this thing called affirmative action and they were hiring minorities and women and I didn't fit the profile. And even though I got really high scores on the tests, I just wasn't going to get hired. And I kind of sort of realized that at a certain point and that it, it was... I could have kept pushing it but it was really an uphill battle to get into a department so I I didn't really it didn't really seem like it was a tragedy to me that I didn't get into a department because I was working and I was enjoying the jobs that I had um, I feel like any job that I've ever had I've kind of put my my all into it and enjoy it I, I really love the social aspect of any job um, getting to know people getting to develop relationships with people and customers um, and just serving I think I just like serving so that's kind of where I've been with most of the jobs that I've had. In one way or another, they've been service-oriented. Well, that's super fun and interesting. And so what was your first job when you moved to Virginia? And, like, did you just pick up, like, a job you're like, oh, they're hiring, I'll, like, go there? Or did you try and seek out things that you thought you would, I don't know, like, be super passionate about? Well, actually, I, already, I kind of already had a job before I came down here. Aunt Lori was working in the Hyatt Hotel in Crystal City, and she was working for the chef in the, the, the executive chef and so she said I could get a job if I moved there um, so I did and I was working as just a cook three which is an entry-level cook in the um, food and beverage department and I was working in a restaurant as we were preparing to open another restaurant we were kind of trying out the menu and training all the staff and I was just in the kitchen taking care of um, vegetables I did a lot of vegetables I was like the the garmage which is the, the garden vegetable guy so I did a lot of that and I learned a lot as I was coming up through um, the kitchens so yeah I just um it was it didn't it wasn't something I sought out it was just kind of going to be a placeholder while I was getting ready to do the fire department thing but as time went on um, I left the kitchen and got into management in the hotel and that led itself to a lot of hours it was a lot of hours and it was hard for me to pursue anything else um, and I've you know you've heard some of those stories about the the hours that I worked when I was in the hotel it was it was extreme to to some degree. What was kind of um, the straw that broke the camel's back when it came to those extreme hours? After I'd, I'd worked in two departments as, as management, um, I worked in stewarding, which was supporting banquets and restaurants, and I worked in convention services, which was setting up meeting rooms. And after working in both of those departments and sort of seeing that 
that life was really rough on the people. I watched the people around me kind of, some of them really didn't take good care of themselves. They were doing things to excess that weren't healthy. And I wasn't involved in any of that. Um, I would go out occasionally after work to to the bars in DC or whatever, but I just didn't feel comfortable like doing some of the things that other people were doing. And I kind of realized at a point, this is not the future I want for myself. And that I felt like eventually I would want to have a family. And, you know, this was before I met um, your mom. I just didn't, I didn't feel right about it. It just felt like it was going to be a, a rough, rough life. Um, and some people make it work, and that's wonderful. Um, I just felt like my personality, it just wasn't going to work for me. And so Aunt Lori had, had left the Hyatt at that point, and she was working for another food service contracting company. And she mentioned that they were hiring, and I said, oh, maybe that would be better, less hours, and it wouldn't be as much pressure probably because, you know, hotels never close. <laughs> so you're always kind of available and always on. Um, when you're a contractor, you know, there are pretty standard hours. Mm -hmm. So I did, I worked for a food service contracting company and I started out in management and ended up as a general manager in a couple of accounts and it was better. Hours were better. Um, you know, I did end up with weekends off at one of those accounts and a couple of those accounts, but it was again, still food was a pretty high stress business. Um, you have a perishable product, you have, um, a lot of variables that are out of your control. And so when it comes to staffing and, and customers and contracts and labor unions and all those things. Um, so eventually I, I, I ended up getting out of, out of food altogether and pursuing my bachelor's degree. What uh, degree were you pursuing? At that point, um, you guys were little. You, you were little when I started doing that. That was in 2000. Um, I, I was really just going for a communications degree. It was kind of a kind of a default degree for, for a lot of people who don't really know what they want to pursue specifically. Um, and it just fit for what I wanted. Um, and I loved the classes I was taking. I was taking uh, nonverbal communication. That was an amazing class. I took a lot of public speaking, um, um, communication in the workplace. So in interpersonal relations, I just, I, I just was fascinated by all the topics and all the all the theory that that was behind it and just I just enjoyed I just enjoyed being in school I, I loved it and I loved working with the other students and I was a little bit of an older student I wasn't young at that point you know I was like in my early 30s and so I just uh, sometimes would end up in a leadership role in any of the groups that I was in or any of the classes and professors looked at me a little differently just because I was a little bit older. I was motivated. I wasn't just a kid out of, co out of high school who had to go to school. I wanted to be there. And uh, so I, I poured myself into, into my education and I enjoyed it. That's super interesting. And something that I feel like I forget sometimes because I just like grew up with you that you're very well spoken and it's not something that always like for some people it does come naturally but like I literally forget that you're a communication communications major and that you literally just like studied that. Because I took one public speaking class and I hated it. <laughs> you know, it, it, it's not something that I felt like I wanted to pursue, like public speaking. Um, yeah. But me speak well. so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so true. So, so it worked out. <laughs> but no, it, many of the jobs that I've had, I mean, it's important to be able to communicate your ideas and your thoughts in a way that mm -hmm. comes across in a way that's not offensive because oftentimes people just can be very blunt about what they say and, and you know you're, you're not always there to make friends but it does help get things done when people 
want to work with you and want to yeah. work for you. So in, in my in my work life, you know, all jobs I've had, I've worked to try to develop those relationships with the people that I interact with and, you know, just nurture that. And I think that's helpful because you should enjoy what you're doing. And if you have controversy and conflict all the time, you're not going to enjoy it as much. Yeah. Something that I definitely learned from you is just that you can put yourself fully into whatever you're doing and you can get so much out of it even if it's not necessarily like the highest paid position like or you're not a CEO or like a doctor or someone that's like super highly regarded in society like you could be doing any job and if you like put yourself into it and you try really hard and you make good connections there and you just like put your heart into it it can be a very fulfilling and good thing even if it's not I don't know I don't know what I'm trying to say. Even you know if I mean? it's not by the world's standards of, like, worth it, you know? Yeah. So what, what you're talking about is something that I I had fallen into that trap, Lindsay. I had gotten to a point where I, I did regard my position as who I was. I was an assistant manager, and I was proud of that fact. Um, I was a general manager, and I was proud of that fact. And then when I stopped being a general manager, when I got out of, I got out of food, food service management, I started waiting tables. And uh, I, it took me a little while to kind of come to grips with the fact that I wasn't the boss anymore. And, and then I kind of realized, you know, that's, that's ridiculous. I, I love being a waiter. <laughs> I, I loved spending time with my customers and, and working really hard to help in the kitchen, doing extra jobs or helping the other servers to, to be better, help them develop systems or just, just help them out when they were in the weeds. And, and it got to a point where and I, I didn't seek this out, but I was working at a, at a restaurant in Pentagon City Mall. And they, after like, I don't know, two, three months, they gave me an award. <laughs> the managers <laughs> gave me this award with a little gift certificate because they said I was the super waiter. And, I, and I never really told anybody that because I was kind of embarrassed by it because I was like, oh, I don't, I don't know how I feel about that. But they, they were impressed because, first of all, I, I, I supported them. And I wasn't somebody who fed into the because there's a lot of drama in restaurants. I mean, I didn't feed into that drama and I'd never perpetuated it. And I would do everything I could to try to dispel rumors. And, you know, I would pull the managers aside sometimes and say, hey, you might want to check this area and see what's going on there. Not not calling people out, but just kind of alerting them to things. Being that, a snitch. <laughs> kind of, snitches get stitches. But <laughs> I just, I wanted to alert them that, you know, hey, there could be a potential problem in, 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 in the unit. And I wanted to help them in, in whatever way I could. And at the same time, I'm taking care of my tables and I'm taking care of the other people that I work with because I just, just wanted to help people. So I, I kind of realized at a point that it didn't really matter what your title is. It matters what your job is and how, how invested you are in your job. Um, you know, re regardless of what you do, you do it to the best of your ability caring about the people that you you are serving and the people that you are working with and if you do that that's to me is success I can be fulfilled in any position that I'm doing and you know then that happened again you know I mean it was cyclical in my life where you know I had attained certain levels of of you know in certain jobs I was I was a director of children's ministry at a point and I I was I was proud of that fact and then I ended up not working there anymore and had to take on a job as an instructional assistant in, in the school system. And 
And I, you'd think I would have learned from that first experience, but I didn't. And it took me a little while to kind of come to grips with, oh, I can, I can be satisfied with the job that I'm doing here. I'm supporting a teacher. I'm supporting these students and families. I'm, I'm, I'm taking care of the other teachers in the school in whatever way I can. And it was, it was, re, it was revealing to me to recognize that my fulfillment doesn't come from a title or a position. It comes from the work that I do with other people. And it's about relationship. That just reminds me of, it's, it's really funny to hear you say that you have to like learn these things multiple times because I feel like that's something that I'm experiencing a lot. And <laughs> Sneeze break. <laughs> love it, love it, gotta get it out. That's just something that I'm learning a lot and I think it's, it's good to know that like your parents experienced that too. And it's like even the things that you taught me. I remember, okay, so this is what made me think of that is I remember you explaining the concept of perspective to me when I was really young just about how, not in a way of like, oh, perspective, life perspective, just literally like, oh, when you look at something from this way, this is how it looks. But then if you look at something from a different way, it might look different. I think we were in the car. I don't remember why you were explaining this to me, but just like physic physically what perspective is when you change your location. And I just think it's so interesting that that was something that you were learning in other areas of your life too. And the, I don't know, it's just really cool to see those pieces come together and to know that, I don't know, just to remember that you were living a life when you explained those things to me. And like, I had no perception of that, but it was true. We're, we're constantly going through learning. It doesn't stop. You know, you, you, you guys have to remember when you were little, your mom and I kind of didn't know what the heck we were doing, you know, so we're kind of figuring it out as we go. I had a little bit of an advantage because I had been working in early childhood for a couple of years before you came along, but we still have to figure things out as we go. So you, I think it's important for people to remember, you know, whatever age you are, the people that you care about and love, your parents, your grandparents, they're always evolving. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, you think that just because somebody's older, they got it figured out. Guess what? They don't. Mm -hmm. None of us do, you know. Can we be content with what we have? I hope so. But there's always going to be growth that happens. There's always going to be new perspectives and different ways of looking at things and, you know, putting yourself in somebody else's shoes, you know, and if, if we could do that more successfully, a lot of the problems that we see in our world would just kind of melt away. You know, I think that caring about other people genuinely and sincerely is the, is the way to combating some of those attitudes that can be destructive. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's so important. And with regard to perspective, I feel like it must be because of the way I was parented, but I feel like I am fairly good at like being in a situation where someone's like mad at me or like frustrated with me or something or something happened in like a friendship or something. And I'm able to like look at what they're seeing from their side and be like, yeah, I understand. Like I messed up or I can see why you're frustrated. He let's like work together to figure it out. And I feel like that's another reason I like put my relationships. Like I am so I don't know. I value my friendships so much. And so I remember even in like fifth grade when two of my friends were mad at me because I gave a flashlight to the boy I liked <laughs> when we were doing a science lab. I gave a flashlight to them or to my the guy that I liked instead of them. And they were like so mad at me. And I literally got home and I was so distraught the entire night. Like I was literally like freaking out. I was thinking about it all day and I could not. And I don't remember if I ended up telling you and mom about it. I might not have. I was in fifth grade. I like didn't know what was happening. But... <laughs> I just remember that so specifically, like, 
and that I value my friendships so greatly, but I was able to be like, okay, if I was in their position and someone that you were close friends with and had valued as a friend did something for someone else that wasn't really treating them, I guess, as well as you had, it doesn't seem fair. And I was like, I could see why you're frustrated. And that's why I was so upset. Cause I was like, I messed up. Like I could have done it differently. And so I just like, thank you for teaching us, I guess, about perspective and just like leading by example because I feel like it's helped me so much to be able to understand like where people are coming from. And I think that's something that's very hard for a lot of people. And obviously I'm not perfect at it, but it's definitely helped me a lot in terms of like conflict and reducing conflict in my own life and communicating like how I'm feeling and how I understand they might be feeling and why that might be happening. Ah, conflict. <laughs> conflict. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a tricky one. Um, you know, I'm, you, you know, my Enneagram and you know that I'm a, sort of a conflict avoider uh I, and you He's know a type nine by the way if you're familiar <laughs> with Enneagram um there's a previous episode that touches on Enneagram mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah I I and I I don't know you know I th- I've thought about this a lot what is it about my my upbringing or my 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 past that makes me want to avoid conflict I just don't like it it's an uncomfortable feeling it's I, I you know like you I value the relationships in my life and when they're not going well it it's anxiety producing to say the least and it makes it hard to focus on you know the remedy because you just you just dwell on oh this is broken this is broken how can i fix it and you don't you don't know you don't think rationally about it um so i what i've discovered though is that there is conflict that is good and if you're able to engage people in a respectful way um you can accomplish a lot through conflict um but it doesn't mean that it's, I still try to avoid it. <laughs> it's just, and that's yeah. me. That's my makeup. And, you know, I've, I've been told sometimes that, you know, oh, you're a peacemaker. And I, I you know, I accept that as a compliment. And I, I get that. And I, I do always try to, you know, give grace and receive grace whenever possible in circumstances. But there's still a part of me that needs to grow in certain areas. And I think that, you know, if we can acknowledge that and not just say oh I got it all together you know because my gr- my beard is gray and I'm wise now well no <laughs> You're wearing berets. I'm wearing a beret in a, in a, in a fancy scarf <laughs> but I, I I don't have it all together and you know it's empowering for me to hear you guys compliment me but you need to also remember that I'm still a work in progress and that we all are mm-hmm. and you know you you man you guys are I feel like you're so far ahead of where I was at your age I, I often feel that way I, I, you know, I look at the people around me, young people around me, and I'm astounded at some of the things that they're able to do and the perspectives that they have. And the just, I feel like at your age, I was very self-centered and didn't really think about others as much. You know, it was more about me and how things affect me. And it took me a long time to sort of take a different posture. And I feel like you guys are already there. So I'm thinking, man, what are you going to be when you reach my age? I mean, it's going to be amazing. Uh, you know, world changing. It could be. I, I mean, that's that's where change comes from. When people develop themselves to a point where they can serve the world in a different way. Yeah, I think that's something that's so interesting. And <clears throat> I don't know if I talked about it in a podcast already, the Ologies episode. There's a podcast called Ologies and there was an episode about gratitude. And I actually sent it to dad because I thought he would find it interesting. And he ended up buying the book that the guy wrote and he just gave it to me so I can read it. But Basically, it just talks about this equation where you do you want to explain it like briefly because you literally read the book already. So I feel like you're more uh, yeah. educated. I, there's this model that the world has that is, 
you know, if you want to be successful, you, you have to work hard, then you'll be successful, then you'll be happy. And what this author did was he kind of flipped that model and said, how about we start with the happiness? How about you just be happy wherever you are, whatever you're doing? Like I said, you know, if I'm an instructional assistant or if I'm a waiter, whatever I'm doing, I be happy with that. I, I find the, the joys in that. I find the, the beauty in that, whatever it is. It doesn't matter what the job is. What you're doing in life can be, can be beautiful and joyful. It's about accepting that and just being able to be content with that and be content with what you have. And so he said, let's start with be happy because when you're happy, then our purpose really is to work. You're designed to work. We're, we're made to work. And so when we're happy, we want to work. We want to do something to the best of our abilities. And guess what happens when you, when you have that attitude of, of happiness and joy and then you work hard? Well, success will come. It may look different for different people. Some people might equate that with money or stature or, or position. Some people, might, some people might just look at it as like, look at all these friends that I've got. Or, I, you know, or it could be, you know, I'm able to be physically fit. Literally, whatever it is for you, that's success. It's not about, you know, what the world tells us. It's money and it's position. It's having a house with six bedrooms and five baths or whatever. That's not success. It could be for somebody. But for me, it's not. I don't, I don't feel that I need all that stuff. And over the years, I've really realized that I don't need much of anything. <laughs> I can be very content with less. Um, I don't have a chainsaw, but there is one next door. And I can hear it cutting down a tree right now. Do you want one? No, I have I have a little electric one. Oh, good. And oh, it's perfectly sufficient for what I need to do. Exactly. Because my tree's not that big. So... So anyway, it's about it's about contentment. I think it all boils down to being content with where you are, what you have. And the catchphrase on the book, do you have it over there? It's in the bag. It, it just it says want nothing plus do anything equals have everything. So what what do you need, really, if you think about it? You know, we, we have so much in our world and there's some some statistics in that book that are incredibly revealing about, you know, we're sitting here with two computers right now. We're, we're more prosperous than like 99.95% of the world yeah. looking yeah. at what we have, the possessions that we have, the things that we worry about, you know, our first world problems. You know, you go to another place and, you know, I've, I've had the blessing to be able to take both of you to Africa and to see what some people can be content with. It's nothing. They don't need, they have one pair of clothing, a pair of shorts and a t-shirt that they wear every day. And they're, they don't, that doesn't matter to them. They're content with that. They can be content with with no toys, you know, walking down a dirt road and a kid sees a little piece of broken mirror and that becomes his toy. And he can be content with that as, as his possession for who knows how long. You know, making a soccer ball out of paper, plastic grocery bags, that's, that, that's just contentment to them. They don't have a lot to work with, but what they do have, they're happy with. So I just think that if we, if the rest of the world, you know, our first world, if we were able to kind of adopt that attitude, um, you know, and of course we have, you know, things that are, that are helpful. You know, we have good medicine here and, and I'm not saying that we should all just get rid of everything. I'm saying we should just be thankful for where we are, what we have and, and not want more, not always want to get to that ne next level and, you know, keep up with the Joneses. Now, then that's not to say that we shouldn't be ambitious. That's, that's different. It's about being content with where you are. And, you know, if you feel like, you know, you can serve the world better by doing something different or having something else, 
by all means do that. That's not a bad thing. I think that's something that thankfully I've kind of already learned a little bit, but I feel like it's so easy in today's society, especially with like social media and those kinds of things, like with your Instagram follower count or people that know you on Twitter or anything like you can be, oh, I just, I just want a thousand followers or whatever it may be. Or like, I just want this many likes and like people will fixate on that so much. And then it's like, as soon as you get that, there's always going to be someone that has more. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to be like, oh, I want more. Like I'll be happy when I have more. And so I feel like that's a struggle some people come to, especially like in social media but also in like work with like positions where you could move up like being a waiter to a manager etc like you're always grasping for straws like gra like trying to climb to the next level and that's just like how America I feel like sees mm -hmm. the job market and in, like the western world yeah that's true um and it can be good to I mean work hard and try and work your way up like that's a cool thing to do but when you think that the next level will bring you happiness like, mm -hmm. it's just delusional. Like, you're never going to be happy if you keep, like, reaching for what's next because you're never going to be able to actually grab it because as soon as you grab it, you're going to reach higher. Mm -hmm. And that's not to say, like, you're saying that ambition is a bad thing, but it's just important to remember that you can be happy at whatever level you're at. Like yeah. me, oh, as soon as I get my graduate degree, then I'll be happy. And then as soon as I get it, I'm like, well, what if I had a PhD? And then I get a PhD. And it's like, well, I'm not the principal yet. Like, I'm only a teacher. Like, you can keep trying to move up in the world but unless you're happy where you are right now like I don't think you will find that in a new position yeah. mm -hmm. I, it, what, I think what you're speaking to is like what is the motivation behind your ambition yeah, yeah. exactly. if it's if the motivation is self-centered if it's you saying well I want to have these letters before my name I'm a, I'm a PhD what is, is what's the purpose for that is it because you have so so many great ideas that you'd like to share them with the world to make the world a better place or you know getting your master's degree to teach is it because you want to be in a classroom and make a difference in the lives of your students and and serve the families it, it, you know it kind of depends on what the motivation is behind what you're doing and I think that's the, that's the trick is if you can f sincerely have that intrinsic motivation to to serve and to be be better so you can be better for people for other people for the world you know and I you know I say the world in air quotes but I, you know what I'm talking about I mean yeah. your world whatever that is if it's, if it's your neighbors or if it's your family or your friends or your school or wh wherever you are your mm -hmm. company um, if you want to serve your company to the best of your ability you know then yeah you should be ambitious to to try to share those ideas in a, in a respectful way and continue to climb the ladder mm -hmm. because you'll have more influence when you get to that level yeah. so and it's again that's not bad it's no. about but it's about the motivation behind it yeah what is the purpose yeah exactly and just like pinpointing if you have something in mind that you're like once i have this it will make me happy like that I feel like personally in my life is a red flag because I don't think that that's ever really the case unless again it's like a special circumstance where you just can't afford food or something like that is very different than like in my life but if I'm like oh once I I don't know have this and many friends or I do this many things on the weekend and I have a good social life or if I get these many grades which I'm um guilty of doing in the past but like I don't know. You know what I mean? Like if you think that doing one specific thing or achieving one specific thing is what will bring you happiness or like general contentment in your life, I just don't think that's how it works. Nah, it's silly. In my experience. You know, you're going to read when you read that book. I'm, I'm coming off fresh from reading that. Yeah. So some of the ideas that I'm sharing with you, you know, 
sorry, they're not my original <laughs> ideas. You know, no. If you steal from me, you've stolen twice because everything that I have has been borrowed from somewhere. Oh, you yeah, know, my yeah. thoughts, ideas, and my, my attitudes. But, they, but then I adopt them and I make them my own. So yes. like what you're speaking about is, is written in this book. It's about adopting an attitude of gratitude. If you can adopt an attitude of gratitude from the beginning, like I have a journal that I started. So every morning I literally write down in, in my gratitude journal just something I'm grateful for. And that, that was a suggestion in the book uh, about just recognizing that we have a lot of things to be thankful for. And if I can start my day by remembering just one thing and what I do is I I take one thing but I write a lot about it it's not you know some people will say you know write five things that you're grateful for well I'm I'm, I don't want to do that I want to write about one thing (laughs) and I want to go into depth and detail on why that one thing why it's so important to me and why I'm so grateful to have that you know I mean I wrote about technology and today it was about technology and being able to you know have laptops and be able to find the answer to any question that I could possibly have and hope that it's accurate and, you know, then verify it via Snopes or whatever. But, you know, and microphones to be able to, to share these words with people across, across the internet that's going to space and beaming back. I mean, that's amazing. If you, if you had told somebody a hundred years ago that this was going to happen, they would have thought you were insane because it just doesn't seem possible. But we have developed this thought process that wants to discover that wants to explore and expand mm-hmm. and, and again that's ambition and that's not a bad thing yeah you know to share that with the world and to to be able to communicate with you guys and you know I am your biggest fan because because I miss you and we haven't had the opportunity to spend time together like we used to before COVID so you know I've told you I'll sometimes put the podcast on and just let it run in the background so it's like you're in my kitchen with me while I'm cooking dinner and then you know you guys are just doing your banter back and forth and I, I just love that that's to me is is such a joy so I'm grateful for technology because of all those reasons and all those things one of my things this year is every day I wanted to say something I was proud of myself for doing and then also potentially tack on something I'm grateful for and so that has been helping me like shift my perspective sometimes if I'm like oh like I have a lot to do for my schoolwork. And then I kind of shift it and I'm like, okay, but I'm so grateful that I have this opportunity and that I'm able to afford, first of all, um, a graduate level education. Like that's incredible and I'm so lucky for that. And so just like spinning it and being like, instead of frustrated about what I have to do, I can be grateful that I have the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that you have to do yourself. Like if I were to complain to Brianna about my doing homework and she was like, okay, but like you're getting an education, I'd be like, cool, now I feel worse. But like (laughs) when it comes from within and like you're able to like flip the script on yourself, I feel like it's so much more powerful and it's actually beneficial. And I can still be frustrated about having a lot to do and be nervous about that because it's a lot on my plate, but I can also recognize that I am lucky and I won't take it for granted because I've definitely taken my education for granted for almost the entirety of my undergrad career. It was just like something that I was doing and I didn't really think about how like blessed I was to have that opportunity, mm-hmm. thanks to Virginia 529 plan sponsored. I'm just kidding, but do you know what, like that? I don't know. Mm-hmm. It's just so helpful. And Brianna and I were driving home the other day, and we were both like in a weird mood. And I don't. We were just like things had happened, and we were just like ugh. And then I was like, let's just like say things we're grateful for. And we literally just like went back and forth and talked about things we were grateful for. And I don't know about you, but I felt so much better afterwards. I was just like, I'm so lucky to be living the life that I'm living, mm-hmm. and it just like totally flipped my mood. Yeah. So, yeah. Just, I agree. You know, a little personal anecdote about gratitude. But yeah, that's a great thing to do and super, mm-hmm. super beneficial because 
we do take so much for granted and it's not like a personal attack on anyone because I definitely also do it but it's just the things that you grew up with you don't necessarily recognize how lucky you were to have them yeah so it's just very important to reflect on those kinds of things I feel like I know we're close to being out of time aren't we we can talk for however long you want what when you guys are speaking about you know your feelings and your emotions and attitudes and you know being in a funk or whatever you guys were feeling the other day um I was blessed to have your grandmother in my life who who really did that a lot, talked about attitude and talked about being able to turn things around. And, you know, she's a woman who's not had the great, the easiest life, let's say. Um, growing up was hard. She was, she was very poor and, you know, they didn't have indoor plumbing. She, she had to use an outhouse through high school. I mean... And, and there were other things that were just really difficult in her life, but she just came through all of that, you know, and, you know, again, we're all growing and she's still growing, even as an 82 year old woman, she, or 83, she's still, she's still growing. We all are, we're still evolving, but she, she was able to instill in me, um, that idea that you get to choose. And, you know, this week we've had a lot of emotion. This week has been a, a difficult week. Um, and you know, as a teacher of preschool children, I have a duty and a responsibility to monitor their frame of mind and their emotional health, but not because we're virtual now. It's not just them. It's their families. It's their parents. It's their siblings. And so this week I, I told you before we started, I used a lot of Mr. Rogers and there's a song that he has called, what do you do with the mad that you feel? And I, I love that concept because it's, it talks about, you know, you can feel any way you want. We all have feelings. We all have emotions. And it's not bad. They, there are uncomfortable feelings, anger and resentment and sadness. Those are uncomfortable feelings, but we still have them. It's not about having the feeling. It's about what do you do with the feeling? What do you do when somebody has hurt you? Do you hit back or do you stop? And we teach our preschool friends to stop put their hands on their tummy and to say their feeling, to name their feeling. Because being able to identify how you feel is a difficult thing. We don't often think of that. You know, we have these uncomfortable feelings all the time. But if we just put a name to it, we take ownership of it and we take power over it. And then we don't act on it in a way that's destructive, that will hurt us or hurt other people. And if think about our world. If adults were able to do that on a regular basis, these lessons from Mr. Rogers, how, how amazing would our world be if people would just feel the feeling, stop, name how they feel, and then not take the action maybe they planned to take? It would change everything. It really would. It definitely would. And it's, yeah, it's so incredibly important. And I'm so glad I'm seeing a push to teach emotional literacy in classrooms because I think it's literally so important. And I don't remember getting that kind of education when I was in school because, again, like school is for content. Like I agree with that, obviously. But if there's information they're not getting at home and that they could get at school, like that's so important to instill in your students. And like at a preschool level, they are more emotionally literate than half of the men in my life. College age boys and girls sometimes, but mainly boys. Um, but do you know what I mean? Like the importance of that and especially starting in preschool, like they're going to work through that their entire lives. And by the time they get to college, they'll be able to understand how they're feeling and that can help them understand how other people are feeling, which will help literally every single person in their life. 
Yeah. So we're, we're you know, I told you we, we got some news this week that we're going to be virtual again, back to virtual. And, you know, some people get frustrated about that. Some people are happy about it because they don't want to be in person. Um, I'm kind, I sort of was ambivalent to, about it in the first place. But then now I'm thinking, you know what, what an opportunity we have. Again, I get a window into people's homes. I have an opportunity to share with a child who's sitting in front of the computer, but I know adults are listening. So when we're, when we're having our social emotional lessons and I'm telling them, it's okay if you feel this way, guess what? Even the grownups in your life get frustrated. They have ang ang anxious thoughts. They get sad. They get angry. I can tell that to the child, but I know the adults listening. Does that give them the freedom to, to feel that way and maybe to open up? Because emotional health is, if not taken care of, it causes cancer. Maybe not physically, but emotionally and mentally, it can cause like all sorts of issues. So we really need to be emotionally literate and, and, and recognize that, you know, again, these feelings aren't bad. They're just feelings. It's what we do with them that counts. I have a question for yeah. you about the generation you grew up in. Do you feel like this was the kind of thing that was ever talked about or that you were ever given permission to like admit that you had feelings when you were growing up? Yes. In my family, I feel like we were able to express ourselves. Um, this is not something I saw in the men of my dad's generation. They were very stoic. They were very guarded and reserved. And in my opinion, and, you know, I can say this because I know my dad's not going to hear this podcast because, you know, we, we recently had his, his anniversary. You know, five years ago, he passed away. But I think what that, what that what resulted in that is it's, this anger under the surface. And, you know, I've, I've told you guys, you know, when I was growing up, my dad seemed kind of like a bear. You know, I, I loved him, but I would kind of give him a little bit of a distance because he wouldn't poke him. He was just he would be loud sometimes. And it was scary as a kid. I remember being afraid to, you know, make him upset. And so I, I think if we are not able to express ourselves, you know, we have this anger that kind of sits under the surface. And it's very easy for that to bubble over. And if we're, if we're not careful to be able to express ourselves, and, and you can express yourselves in many ways. I mean, some people use art, some people use exercise, some people use sports, some people write or sing or whatever. Um, but just having an outlet, you know, and, and therapy. I mean, people talk to other people. You know, some people have friends that they talk to. Some people go to a therapist. Um, you know, I've gone to a therapist a few times, and it was very helpful for me to be able to express how I felt and to not feel like I was being judged by how I felt. Um, you know, that it was okay to feel whatever I felt. Um, and, you know, get, giving, having given, being given the freedom to be able to do that um, really kind of vented, and it just released that. So I didn't have, didn't feel like I had that anger bubbling under me. And, and today I feel feel like I don't have anger bubbling under me and and I just you know I, I get frustrated sometimes with things but you know I often will kind of check myself I'll stop I'll name my feeling I'll say I'm frustrated <laughs> and then I'll go is that really that important in the grand scheme of life you know you know there are so many things that we can just let go of and be like that's just not that important you know if it's a deal breaker you need to communicate it if it's not some things we can just let go um, and just maybe serve somebody because they don't like to do this certain thing. We can say, well, I'll do that. It's not a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's something I actually wrote about in my journal today. I was doing Your my, journal. my third time this week. I journaled um, as per my resolution. But I was writing about how this semester I want to try and like put myself in the future 
in order to focus on the present, which sounds kind of weird, but for like my degree in May, I'll finish and then I'll have my own classroom, hopefully, in like September. And so the things that I'm going through right now, like thinking about how hard the semester is going to be, how much work I'm going to do, I'm going to be in a classroom 40 hours a week, which is a lot on top of two classes. Like it's going to be a hard semester, but if I just like take a moment and be like, okay, in September, I will have my own classroom. I know it's all going to work out and I will be okay. It kind of like takes the burden off of myself to be super stressed about it now because I just trust that it will all work out and I trust that everything that needs to happen will happen because I have great friends in the program. I have a supportive family. I have professors who care about me and want me to do the best I can do and also get a job and all of those things. And so I just like, I trust that whatever is going to happen is going to be what's supposed to happen. And so instead of like freaking out about one assignment or one thing I have to do, my goal is to just like take myself to September and be like, in a year, this won't matter. Like I will look back and be like, why was I so anxious? Why didn't I just enjoy the time I had like in college? Cause college is a fun time. I have friends I can see and all that, but yeah, that's something I want to for focus, <laughs> work on and focus on this semester. Um, because yeah, it's something I've struggled with in the past with specific regard to grades and just all of that. So I'm hoping that will help because I am like so close to actually doing like my real person job. So it's like, I can be like, oh, it's only in a few months. It's not like in 10 years, it'll all be over. Like so sometimes that unknown yeah. is, is, is hard because you know, we, we always, there are those of us who really like to know what's coming. Uh -huh. There are those of us who really are comfortable with wanting to know exactly what the next thing is mm -hmm. and what that will exactly look like. And one of the things I've tried to adopt over many years is looking at every unknown as an adventure. And, you know, it made just because it's different doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's different. Right. Yeah, we, we remove the mystery from it when we're looking forward to it. If it's something that we're dreading, then, well, yeah, of course you're going to have a negative perspective of it. If you can be excited about something that you don't know what it actually is going to be, but you have maybe an idea of what it could be, then you look forward to it like a, like a, like a vacation. You know, if you know you're going to the Bahamas, you don't, that's exciting, but you, you may not know exactly where you're going to be staying or what the island will look like, but you still can have that, that you're looking forward to that event. And just looking forward to something that you don't know exactly what it's going to be, how awesome. You get to you get to kind of write it your own way. You get to create in your mind whatever you want it to be. And some of that might ha actually happen. Some of it might not. But along the way, you, you won't be dreading it. You'll be excited about it and looking forward to it. That energy is going to be relayed into your your process of whatever you're doing, the work that you're currently doing to prepare for it or or, you know, talking about it and you know just just being excited about it it's it creates an energy and i feel like that opens you up to new ideas it opens you up to new relationships new perspectives i mean why wouldn't we look forward to something that that we know is going to be good and you know we may not know exactly what it looks like but we know it'll be good yeah i agree i emailed my teacher that i'll be working with this semester and just like emailing her I was like oh I'm so excited like I cannot wait for this semester and like I'm going to be teaching like taking over certain content or areas as the semester goes along but I was just like I don't know exactly what it's going to look like but I'm so excited for it but it's taken me a long time to get to this place I have not always felt this way so <laughs> just it's not it's not an easy thing and it doesn't always come naturally
that it is a struggle sometimes. It's like swimming up a river, <laughs> you know, the, the current's pushing against you. And there are times where you might have to take a break. And, you know, that's, you know, having a positive attitude can be exhausting sometimes. And that's why we need the self-care you guys have talked about in past episodes is to be able to, you know, take a break or, you know, have somebody to talk to and somebody who's not going to say, well, I can, I can help you fix that. They'll just say, oh, that sucks. Yeah. Uh, that must be really hard for you. You know, I mean, we sometimes just need to speak it out yeah. and, and, and let that go. And we don't want somebody to solve it for us. We don't want somebody, you know, just somebody to hear us, you know, and that's community. It's the community and the relationships in our lives that are so important. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's been almost 60 minutes, but do you have any closing remarks? Well, you know, I didn't prepare anything. I was just kind of going to wing this and see where it went. Um, I guess any parent loves their kids um, and we all for the most part I think just respect and want, and, and want what's best for our children um, one of the things I've learned from my mom is to not worry about you not to worry about you know that you I've, I've given you some lessons in life your mom has given you some lessons in life and so you hopefully will take that and work with it and so I don't worry about you. I celebrate you, and I celebrate you all the time. And if, if people could see me right now, they'd know that I've been sitting here with a smile on my face most of this podcast. <laughs> and I just, I love seeing you. I, I love seeing your faces. Like, being able to look at your faces without masks is a joy to me. And that's probably something I'll, talk, I'll write about tomorrow. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm grateful for your faces, because I love you so much. And I continue to try to be better as a dad to continue to support you in whatever way I feel you need um, being able to be open with you and, and share maybe if I'm frustrated about something naming my feeling and then sharing that with you <laughs> or or just just sharing my joys and celebrations with you um, I think that's that's really what we should be doing with our with our family um, you know I've talked to people about this in the past but I feel so blessed that I love everybody in my family not everybody has that and some people just, it just, it breaks my heart to hear the way some people talk about their siblings or their parents or their aunts and uncles or whoever. And just to recognize that, you know, we are so blessed to have amazing people in our lives that are supportive, that love us unconditionally, that, that aren't perfect, and that they may do silly little things that make <laughs> us chuckle or roll our eyes or whatever. but. I mean, I know I do that for people. I know that, you know, I'm probably making people roll their eyes a lot, but it's it's just a joy to be able to be in a family that has this level of love. And, you know, I, I don't take that for granted because I know, you know, this past year, I mean, you've talked about, you know, losing people that we love. And, you know, those are people that I will always carry in my heart. You know, Nana and Pop-Pop, they're always going to be with me. And I recognize that, you know, they had an impact on molding me in, in the way who in, in who I am. And, you know, so just to appreciate people, just to appreciate the ones that, that love you and that you love and to not not want something from that relationship more than just love returned. That's it. That's all I got. Well, that's really good. That was lovely. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for being our first guest. It's been so wonderful. Learned so much. 
I feel like it was a lovely time. We'll have to do it again. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much for joining us. As I said, it was lovely. And it was so nice to be here. And hopefully the wind wasn't too loud. We'll find out while we're editing. Um, but yeah, you should follow us on Instagram at Gone with the Windies. Follow our dad at Papa.Windy. Yes. That would mean I have to start posting because I never post to Instagram. You know, he'll give you, right. some, give you some good, he'll give you the likes. He won't give you the content, but he'll give you the likes. <laughs> I do like a lot of things. And yes. he'll answer any questions oh, you sure. have or any advice you need. He'll give you some. Yeah, <laughs> yes. definitely. Let us know if you want him back on the podcast. Um, yeah. And subscribe on the Apple Podcast app. Didn't say that one yet. And I hope you are happily gone, gone with, with the, the Windies. windies.